you. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give God praise. Glory to your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. We worship you, King of kings, Lord of lords. We live in this place, God. We acknowledge you in this place, God. Dry bones jump to life in this place, God. People are healed in this place, God. Prophecy goes forward, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, God. Your Holy Spirit is here and we acknowledge your presence, God. We need your presence, God. We want your presence, God. Oh, God, let it not just be in this place when we come for chapel, but in our rooms and in our secret conversations, God, with our faculty, Lord God. We want to see what it's like, Lord God, as it was when the priests were so overcome by your Holy Ghost that they couldn't even minister. We want to have to step over people slain by the Holy Ghost in the hallway, God. We want to have to step over somebody. We want to walk in your shadow and be healed, God. Lord, we've declared, we prophesied that the best days of North Central University are ahead of it. And we thank you that the best days of this nation are ahead of us because of those in this room. And we declare and proceed, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that these who are here, Lord God, would awaken to the reality of what you called them to be. They're not here to take up space. They're not here to simply be from this town or that town. But they're called to be the agents of change in the world. So we bless your name, God. And we thank you, Lord God, that you would even consider us worthy to be on this wild ride of holiness. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, all who would agree would say amen. I'm so grateful to be here with you all today. And in his absence, I honor Dr. Scott Hagen. But so grateful for my brother Joshua for my longtime roadie. <laughs> I'm really his roadie. Uh, Jeff Dio, uh, like I just, uh, this is this is just the place. Like all my people are in this house, and so I'm grateful for the privilege to be with you all today. Let me just tell you all, your lives matter. Can I just speak that to somebody that your lives matter? That may sound like yeah, duh, but too many of us we're losing too many friends, y'all. We're losing too many friends to suicide. We're losing too many friends to atheism. We're losing too many friends to church hurt. We're losing too many friends. People who said they were sold out are walking away. Your lives matter, not simply uh, to this place or to your families, but to the church eternal. So whatever is going on with you, get a revelation. That might be simple, but you need to get that revelation because the enemy is oftentimes whispering in our ears and causing us to be like, yeah, my life isn't that important. You need to know that every thought that comes to you isn't yours, that the enemy brings things because he knows that he has but little time. So if he can make us complacent, if he can make us lazy, then he will. I also declare that every seat that is not filled in this place where people think they have somewhere else to be, you don't have any better in place to be than under the word of God, ever in your life. I don't care what's going on. There's nothing more important than the word of God always, because it's only the thing that's going to last. The word of God says heaven and earth is going to pass away. It's only what, what we do for him that's going to remain. What are you doing for him that's going to give a lasting legacy, beloved? What are you doing that's going to remain? Listen, today in the short time I have, I want to talk to you about one thing, and that's being about our Father's business. We're in a season of distraction. There's a lot. I mean, you all are right down here downtown. I just came back from Portland, Oregon. 
I was there for 10 days. How many of you are, where's Portland people? I just came back from Portland. Okay, so I was at George Fox. I was just in Portland for 10 days. Amazing vistas, beautiful, the Northwest. But there was pain. There was pain in Portland like there was pain here. And that pain lingers and homelessness lingers and violence lingers in the streets. But how many of you know those things can't scare us? We need to be like those who run into the fire. I don't care how hot it gets. We need to take our shoes off and know that we always have the fourth man in the furnace. So fire shouldn't scare you. You need to run into it with a passion. But here's the other thing. We need to treat each other as family. All this stuff that's going down, all of this politicization, all of this. If we are purchased by the blood of Jesus, we are more family than people in my own family. If you're born again of the Spirit, there should be no hate in you, no animosity toward me. We ought to be family. We ought to be chasing after God. And everyone else who is not like God, we ought to be chasing after. I'm done with it. I'm done with the foolishness. Why? Because it's a distraction to our Father's business. Hear me. Jesus' entire life, both in the natural and in the spiritual, was focused on one thing. One thing, and that was to bring glory to the Father. This was his passion. It was his calling. It was his holy commitment. From the beginning of the world, which was made by him and for him and through him, he was present with the Father and the Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ ruled and reigned with all authority. By God's holy plan and design just at the right time, He sent his son into the world, a world that had been marred and broken and stained by sin. Why? To redeem it for himself. Christ came into this world through the womb of a virgin and by the agency of the Holy Ghost. So though holy and though God in every way, Jesus walked this earth as a human being, came through a human womb, was nursed, by human flesh, cared for by human hands, loved by human hearts. And as a part of walking in this human existence, he had companionship and friendship and familial responsibilities that came in being raised in the home of Mary and Joseph. Sometimes we think about Jesus only sitting at the right hand of the Father, but there was a time where he was a little kid who was disobedient and needed to be knocked upside his dome like the rest of us did. He had brothers and sisters, including Jude and James, two authors of two books of the Bible, who did not believe that Jesus was Lord until he had been crucified and raised from the dead. I would imagine that like you and I, he was invited to celebrations with his local communities. He hung out with his friends. He fished. He worked with Joseph as an apprentice. And he worshiped in the temple. I would imagine that Jesus, if one could say he had a normal life, if one could say Jesus, the king of all creation, had a normal life, I would imagine that he could have a normal life if we could even say that about the Son of God. And as a part of his earthly life, he was obedient to the Jewish scriptures and the things that were taught to him. And I want to talk to you today from this portion of scripture where we find a young Jesus in the temple about his father's business. It comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. You all need to get used to opening your word, opening your phones, opening something, because anyone who's standing in front of you, don't just take their word for it. That's part of the problem. I don't care how well I'm known. If I misuse the word of God, you ought to know it. 
And you ought to know it because you're a student of the word. So open your word or look on with somebody else to Luke chapter 2, 41 through 52. It says every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among the relatives and friends. Stop. How many of you are wanderers? How many of you were that kid in the grocery store? The minute your mama looked the other way, you were the one that went around the corner in the aisle and you were trying to get the sugared cereal when she told you to eat those Wheaties. How many was you? How many is you? That's an altar call free, right? How many of you were the kids when you went to the store and mom was shopping for clothes and you tucked inside the clothes rack? How many of you, right, the altar is open. How many of you clothes rack bandits were there, right? Y'all were hiding in there and your mom is frantic and screaming and you're just like... <laughs> right until you got home, and then it wasn't funny no more, was it? <laughs> All the warmth was circular in one spot. Ooh, Jesus, <laughs> save us, God, right? We know something about wandering, don't we? There's a beautiful old hymn. This is come now fount of every blessing, and one of the portions of it says, prone to wander, God, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for you like courts above. We all know what it is to wander. We all know what it is to duck and to hide, not only from our natural family, but we know what it is to duck and hide from God. We duck and hide in sin and in shame, and we duck and hide from the things that we're doing, and God is always looking for us. Where are you? I'm here for you. He's always reaching, not frantically, because he always knows where he are, but he wants us to come to him. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, once they sinned, they hid themselves. That's what sin has done to us, beloved. And I dare say that's what religion does to us, not faithfulness. It makes us hide behind masks of spirituality when we have no intimacy with God at all. But instead, he comes to us. And here we see that Jesus uh, was back in Jerusalem, and he didn't show up, and they were wondering where he was. It says, when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, how many know your mama would have been crazy? Three days later, my mama would have had a belt, a switch, a, a broomstick, something. At three days later, yeah, it would have been over. I would have been like this. <laughs> Somebody would have been right. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple. Listen to this, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. What does Jesus say? But why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Why did you have to search? Didn't you know I was going to be in my daddy's house and about my father's business? 
Beloved, those who wander, we need to be those that God doesn't have to look for, that your family doesn't have to look for. We need to be in the house of God worshiping. If you ever take a day off, if you're sick, if people can't find you, they ought to know that you're in here laying on your face, praying for a breakthrough, praying for that family member who's not saved in the name of Jesus, praying that that spirit that has tried to, that generational curse that's been on you would be broken. We need to be about our father's business. But how many of you know our father's business isn't just about us? It's not just about me. And that's the problem I find too often with the way that we in the West look at faith. Because we don't think of the rest of the world. We act as though Christianity was something that we devised here in the United States of America, where it is a global religion birthed in the Middle East with power and authority, where God has moved despite the things that the enemy has tried to do. This is a global passion. There are people right now, every day, who lay their lives down for the gospel. How many of you want that kind of faith that no matter what comes at you, you can say, go ahead and take my life on this side because God's just going to raise me up on the other side. I don't want to fear a human being. I want to be able to look the devil in the eye. Come on, somebody. I don't want to be afraid of the things that the enemy throws my way. I don't want death or darkness to keep me from a passionate pursuit of the Holy King. I don't want to be afraid. I want to be passionate for him. Right now, North Koreans are passionate for him. Northern Nigerians are passionate for him. Colombians are passionate for him. Though they've buried their dead, they're saying he is alive, and you will not stop the praise of the king. Can we be that hungry? For all the other things that have distracted us, we're not about our daddy's business. Though we have wandered carnally and spiritually by the things that sparkle and entice us by our human flesh, the Lord begs us to come home. He begs us to come back. He begs us to hold him close. He begs us to say to others, did you really have to look for me? I wasn't going to be in the club. I wasn't going to be in front of my computer screen. You can turn on my computer and look at everything I have there. There's no shame. Did you really have to wonder where I would be? I was praying for somebody. I was out on the street witnessing. I was laying hands at HCMC. Did you really have to wonder where this Holy Ghost fire baptized person was going to be? I was about my father's business. As students, you're about your father's business. You're being educated right now. You're growing up and growing into deeper things so that you can be used by God in the world. But may I even say in these hallowed halls, may your education that you get here never be greater than the education that you perceive and you receive in the presence of the king. We can get awfully deep and spiritual about our intellectual pursuits. I myself am almost finished with a doctorate. I understand the reality of having a pursuit, but if that pursuit makes me arrogant above somebody else, not a useful in the hands of the Father, what good is it? What good is it if I'm smart but not saved? What good is it if I speak holiness but hate other people? What good is it if I and Shabbat God but speak death over situations? What good is it if I say I love God, but I can't forgive you, what good is it? I want my faith to matter. Amen. Does anyone want their faith to matter? Their faith to be powerful, their faith to be one that can be tested and proven and tried. 
like Job and come out on the other side. Like a lot of us, his parents didn't know what to think. Why'd you do this to us? If any of you who have really surrendered your life to Christ had friends say, why'd you do this to us? Why'd you abandon us? Don't take all that. You super spiritual now? You don't need us? You can't roll with us? You can't drink with us? You can't hang with us? Anyone had that? Anyone had the abandonment because you really sold out? I have. Count the cost now. Because you will lose people along the way who don't think following God takes all that. It takes all that and more. It takes all that and more. It takes all your heart and all your passion. They didn't know what to think, but Jesus said, Mama, why'd you need to search? You knew where I was going to be in my father's house. Jesus, my friends, hear me, did nothing of himself, for himself, or by himself. Jesus did nothing of himself, for himself, or by himself. Do y'all get that? Some of y'all are looking at me like, I have no idea what you're talking about, lady. Listen, let me help you. Auntie's right here. Let me help you. This is a family reunion. Let auntie help you here. Jesus, though he was holy, though he was God, did nothing of himself, for himself, by himself. Everything he did was to give glory to God. It wasn't about him. It was about giving God glory. And we see he went back home and he operated in obedience, and he walked in obedience, and he walked in that obedience the rest of his life. He walked in that obedience all the way to the cross through the things that he suffered for people who did not love him back. Aren't you grateful that you have a God who knew something about obedience, who can now teach us something about obedience? I mean radical obedience. Radical obedience. You may say, well, Pastor Laura, what does that got to do with us? My friends, I want you to hear clearly that there's a difference between being drawn by something and being drawn to someone. The someone whose presence ought to delight us. The one who we ought to be able to call us and find us in his word, reading and doing his will. Jesus said in John 4, 34, this is my food, my delight, to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Is there anyone in here who wants to finish his work? and finish strong, not limp along, not drag along to the end. I want to finish strong, and I don't know what finish is, and I don't know when finish is, but may I be found in his presence finishing strong, encouraging, high-fiving my brothers and sisters, my family. Y'all, we are family, and as family, we need to encourage each other. The Apostle Paul, the one who learned radical obedience— from Jesus who was obedient, who taught the disciples to be obedient, who taught the world to be obedient, who are teaching us to be obedient. This is what the Apostle Paul said. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. This is Philippians 2. But be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but also take interest in others too. Who are you taking interest in? And are they all like you? Who are you taking interest in? What part of the world that has nothing like you to do, who are you taking interest in? And is it a God assignment? Not a flesh assignment. It's easy for me to hang with people who are like me. It's harder for me to do the work of the kingdom because I want to wander off and I want to be where the comfort is. But how many know there's nothing about comfortable Christianity that's going to bring people to salvation? 
Our salvation's not about comfort. It's about deliverance. It's about healing. It's about transformation of a world that has gone mad. The Apostle Paul said, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, someone say, therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all names, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and get this under the earth. That mean devil is going to bow. Every lying demon is going to bow. Those above the earth, the angels will bow. Those who get caught up will bow, and those under the earth will bow to the presence and power of Jesus. Every tongue will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, final words. We must be obedient as Jesus was. We must hunger more and more to be in our Father's house. And our Father's house isn't always just like this. Our Father's house sometimes is creating atmosphere with our brothers. Amen? Some of you brothers hanging together and just praying together. How many of you all do that? Taking some walks and just talking together. You can create a tabernacle anywhere you want to be. The Word of God says where two or three are gathered in his name, he's right there with you. Stand on a street corner and proclaim his name and watch others gather towards you. Here's the reality. What is it going to take for us to be about our Father's business? The first thing, you all, is that we've got to believe. That sounds easy, but how many of you know belief can be difficult? Belief is hard and trust is hard. Let's be honest. It's hard because sometimes it seems like the world that we're in, it seems like Satan is so large and God is so small. But how many know that God is always working? It's our job to believe. John 6, 29 says, Jesus told them, this is the only work. The only work that God wants from you to believe in the one that he has sent. How many know when you believe in the one that he has sent fully, nothing is impossible for you? Nothing will be withheld from you. There is no devil that can take you out. There is nothing that can crush you, but we've got to believe it. And when you're tested and tried by fire, you still have to believe. When you lose people, you still have to believe. When you lose that job, you still got to believe. When that relationship ends, you still got to believe. When you don't get that grade or that job, you still, God beckons you to believe. So we need to believe. Number two, we need to be his witnesses. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, you all know it. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Teach these new disciples to obey. There it is again, to obey all the commands I have given you. And I'll be sure of this. You can be sure of this. I'll always be with you. I'll always be with you. There'll never be a time, if you're my child, that you will be alone ever again in your life. Even when you want to be alone, I will be with you. And finally, we've got to learn how to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. And then what does it say? We've got to love our neighbor as ourselves. That person you can't stand on this campus, I sure hope you have some divine encounters with that person. I hope you can't sleep 
until you have an encounter with that person, until you forgive that person, until you realize that Jesus will forgive you when you forgive that person. Why? Because forgiveness releases us and releases others as well. We've got to learn to love each other, y'all, with all of our heart and soul and mind and love our neighbor as ourself. Listen, I know that there's a lot, as my sister said, there's a lot of you that are burdened. My sister, your sister said, we got to enter in. It's true. That's truth. There's so many things. We're looking at our clocks and our watches. But listen, how many of you know one touch from God, one moment in the presence of the king, one word spoken over your life, one touch will change your life forever? How do I know? Because that's what happened to me. In church my whole life, but far from God. You can graduate from this school and be in church your whole life and never see the shores of heaven. It's time to be disciples. Disciples who become apostles. Apostles who transform the world. Who worship with their whole lives. Beloved, I'm hungry for revelation and revolution. I'm hungry for revelation of God and a revolution that comes as a result. I'm tired of the way that we're doing stuff. I'm tired of churchiness. I'm tired of racism. I'm tired of burying young people in the streets. I'm tired of all of that. I want to see the fire of God take over everything. It doesn't just have to be AG. Let Catholic folks come and experience the baptism in the Holy Ghost. That's the majority of my family. So, beloved, let us link arms and hearts and step into the deeper realms, the deeper waters, the holy places. Let us be about our Father's business. Our Father's business is healing, it's reconciliation, it's wholeness. I know that many of you, that we oftentimes have an open altar, and as they worship, I'm going to open this altar. And for any of you who are in a place where you're complacent, you're those dry bones. You're the dry bones. Come and join us and sing and jump to life. Let God speak to you. Don't worry about who's on the left or the right. But come and experience and be fed and be filled to the overflow. It's what God wants. The altar's open in Jesus' name. Amen.